I have to ask the question just flat out, are we in a recession? Well, um, my answer is no, not yet. Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on the investment research team here. It is Thursday, July 28th. It is only a few hours after the GDP reading showed that the economy contracted in the second quarter, which marks the second consecutive negative GDP print. So on today's episode, we are answering the question that everyone's asking, are we in a recession? Plus, what we'll be closely watching in the third quarter as we continue to assess the path of global economic growth and whether or not this recent data will change the Fed's hiking campaign. So to talk through all of this, I am excited to welcome the one and only Laura Rehm, our chief U.S. economist. Laura, thanks for joining. It's quite a list you had there, Kara. I, I know. We got a lot to cover. Um, and I know it's a very, uh, very busy day for you. You're a very popular lady. So I appreciate you making the time for us. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get right into it. As I said, we got that negative, that second consecutive negative GDP print today. I have to ask the question just flat out, are we in a recession? Well, um, my answer is no, not yet. But to some degree, I almost don't know that it matters because the second quarter GDP report was, you know, really reflected an economy that's slowing down, slowing down quickly. The Fed is raising rates aggressively, and that was clear in the data. And, you know, when you break down that number, the headline fell 0.9%. Um, we still had household consumption um, that was really up because consumers are aggressively spending on services. Um, but durable goods purchases were down. You know, that's going to be your interest rate sensitive sectors. Business investment was weak. Government spending fell. Um, so the details really reflect Fed rate hikes having impact and the economy slowing. I want to dig into the details a little bit more. Um, if we think back to the Q1 numbers, um, we saw, as you said, we saw we had strong consumption then. It was just offset by that net trade. And you said we had strong consumption in this report as well. Um but it doesn't seem like there was a ton of good news otherwise. So what do you find most worrisome? I think, you know, what is worrisome is this broad-based weakness. Um, and here's where I want to talk a little bit about the difference between the first quarter and the second quarter, because we did have negative growth in the headline GDP number in the first quarter as well. Um, but there was broader strength in the economy in the first quarter. We Our trade deficit widened significantly. Remember, all the way back to Q1, China was in lockdown. Yeah. So they really were not importing very much. So um, I think what we just need to keep in mind is the fact that, um, you know, the Fed is trying to suppress demand. That's clearly working. There's probably more to come. But when we look at GDP, this is one measure of output. And when we really ask this larger question about recession, we're, you know, asking about the overall health of the economy. And you have to, you know, it's a $24 trillion, it's the largest economy in the world. It cannot be summarized in one number. 
We need to think about the labor market. We need to think about income. We need to think about wealth, industrial output. So, you know, it's more than just this one output metric. And that's where um, you're seeing signs. You know, the labor market remains very strong. Um, And, you know, for all of those reasons, we need to remember that it's um, the question would imply a very simple answer. Um, But in reality, usually our economy kind of stumbles in a lopsided way into recession. I think we may be stumbling there, but I'm not sure that we're there yet. Yeah. So what are you really, let's let's laser focus on the third quarter. Yeah. Um, What are you going to be laser focused on in terms of the data to kind of suss out whether or not we are, or we have stumbled into that recession? Yeah. The labor market still looks healthy. We added 1.6 million jobs in the first quarter. We added 1.1 million jobs in the second quarter. And job losses are a hallmark of recessions. Um, Remember, our economy wants to grow, so recessions are really a disruption. And um, really, job job losses are a sad, they're an unfortunate part of slowdowns. And um, we've seen, you know, I wrote in the quarterly that initial jobless claims, it's a small weekly indicator that I watch uh, regularly. To me, it's really the canary in the coal mine. Uh, it's about 250,000. And again, this is a number that tells us how many people every week are going to the unemployment office and applying for unemployment insurance. So it reflects near-term layoffs, near-term job losses. And if that number starts to rise significantly, um, we know that, you know, that tells us even faster than the labor, than the monthly report does um, if the jobs picture is deteriorating. So it's risen a little bit from truly historically low levels. But if we get, um, if we rise much more from here, uh, we're around 250 right now. If we get up to 300,000, I think you have to, at that point, check the box that job losses are starting to become a real part of the economic landscape. Mm All right. So I want to pivot now to inflation, still something that we are talking about ad nauseum. Um, and we have talked a lot on this podcast. You know, All of us have talked about inflation for the better part of a year and a half, but we've talked about a lot of the drivers of inflation on this podcast before. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, it's really coming from everywhere. I want to kind of flip the the script now um, because we're still seeing those really persistently high inflation numbers. What has to go right to get those numbers down? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny the way you ask that question because that is exactly how I phrase it myself. Um, because, you know, inflation right now, um, it ended, you know, began, begins the third quarter at 9.1% year on year, highest since the early 1980s. And um, when I think about the fact that inflation for 25 years was at 2%, that's the Fed's goal to get it back there. So much has to go right to get it back to 2%. You need energy price deflation, which I do not expect given that Russia is, you know, just still stomping right. their way across the Ukraine. Um, you need durable goods price deflation, which given the zero COVID policy in China, production disruption, supply chain, you name it, I think it's still causing um, a price premium for durable goods. And then finally, rents. 
have been a really the I think the most troubling new innovation in inflation over the last two quarters. And rents are now up five percent year on year. And ironically, the Fed's rate hikes are disincentivizing new home building. And that is going to make the problems in the housing market and the low supply in the housing market worse. So it's actually going to continue to put, um, I think, upward pressure on rents. And so I think, you know, you have these multiple factors that need to return back uh, to either deflation or low inflation. And I don't think any of them are very likely. And that's going to be the problem. My year-end inflation outlook for 2022 is 5%, but for 2023, it's still three and a half to 4%. And that is stubbornly high. It's high enough so that the Fed is going to have trouble declaring victory. And do you think that we're going to get to a point if we think about, I want to talk about the the Fed near term in a second, but if we're taking kind of a longer term view here and we're looking at whether it's next year, whether it's next quarter, I don't know, we'll get to this in a second, the Fed's probably going to have to pivot or pause their sure. hiking. Um, but it doesn't sound like we're looking at inflation that's going to be anywhere near their target anytime soon. Do you think that we're going to have to live with just higher inflation going forward? Or you know, what's your outlook there? I think we're going to have to live with it for the next couple of years at least. And I don't think that we're going to have an easy stability at 2% like we've had. I think there's going to be more volatility in the inflation numbers. So even if we will get periods where it could, uh, you know, pull below 2%, I think it's just going to be more volatile. And that is something that we are just not used to. As no. investors from the policy side, um, that is the the volatility. That is what the volatility brings. It's this broader uncertainty. And what's causing so much of the volatility in financial markets. Uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So like I said, let's go, let's laser focus back on the third quarter again. So the Fed hiked 75 basis points yesterday. So the Fed funds rate is now two and a half percent upper bound. Mm -hmm. um, do you think today's GDP report changes your expectations for what they're going to do in September? You know, I don't. And I think that, you know, markets are pretty focused on a 50%, 50 basis point rate hike in 50%. September. <laughs> That'd be something. <laughs> that would be something. Uh, for those at home, that's 50 basis points, <laughs> not 50%. Um, <laughs> so uh, taking us to, you know, 275 to 3%. Um, but beyond that, um, I think we become more data dependent. And I think, you know, the Fed has this concept of a neutral Fed funds rate, and they peg that in a range of two to three. We don't observe it. So it's their, you know, estimated range of neutral. So when rates are below that, think of, you know, putting the gas, your foot on the gas in your car. Um, and when rates are above it, think of stepping on the brake, right? Um, but neutral is kind of just coasting. And they have made very clear all along that they want to get us back to neutral as fast as possible. And with yesterday's rate hike, they really did that. And September will still bring us to the top of that band, but that's still, you know, coasting for them. So I think this is where, um, you know, right now the Fed is expecting. Powell yesterday pointed us to his dot plot. 
of another rate hike um, in December, more rate hikes in 2023. Um, and markets have swung the other way in the wake of today's data. I think that's the big thing that happened after today's data, right? The Fed yesterday was continuing sort of to talk about rate hikes and the markets are saying, well, we're maybe, yeah, we'll get September, maybe another 25 in the fourth quarter, but that's kind of it. And that's been, I think, the big evolution after today. This yeah. divergence between what the markets are expecting the Fed to do and what the Fed wants yeah, to do. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that markets are are rallying today is, it, it, you know, it's the bad news is good news conundrum that we get in of, okay, maybe the Fed isn't going to have to hike as much and that's good news for markets. And yeah. I don't think Bad that, news for the economy, good news for markets. And I don't think that markets, I think this is the market... Um, forgetting that we're in an, an environment where inflation's at 9%. Right, because we haven't been in that environment right. in so long. Yeah. Um, okay, so we we talk about the Fed a lot, but the Fed is not hiking in a vacuum, right? So I want to talk sure. more about global central banks. Um, we saw the Bank of Canada's hike, the Bank of England, the ECB hiked for the first time in over a decade, the Swiss National Bank. We're seeing... You know, so we're seeing hiking across the globe, but we're also still seeing accommodative policy in China and Japan. Um, so after really a decade of coordinated monetary policy and really monetary easing um, or accommodative policy, what is the impact in your view of this disjointed central bank uh, policy across the globe? Yeah, well, you know, the, it's certainly, in, and I, I put a whole page about this in the quarterly because- to your point, you know, we've we're done with a decade and a half of coordination and um you know, the ECB hiking for the first time in 11 years is a really big deal. And it, it reflects the fact that globally growth is challenged, that the US is not the only economy trying to deal with high inflation and that um it adds to both the um, concerns about global growth and it adds to volatility because you're just going to get, you know, we've seen it in foreign exchange markets. We've seen it in commodity markets that volatility is really, to me, echoing around the financial market landscape. And that is because of these disparate global cycles. And I think that is really set to continue and just amplifies the challenges that investors are dealing with. Yeah, and with this, slowing global growth, we're seeing that reflected in the long end of the yield curve. Um, the 10 years down to, I think, maybe 265 basis points today. It peaked in this in the last couple of months at close to three and a half percent, which was a pretty, you know, pretty high number, decade high, I think. Um, but we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing the global growth concerns expressed in the U.S. yield curve. Yes. Uh, you know, this is something that to me is pivotal for investors to understand because, you know, when we think about inflation at 9%, we'd like to say and remind people that it's the same that it was in the early 1980s. But even if we have that economic memory, back in the early 1980s, the 10-year treasury was at 13%. Today, to your point, it's around two and three quarters, less than 3%. So we have no investment memory of this. Right. We have no, no, um, no yeah, we have no, um, and that, and I think that is what to me really is the best way to summarize the challenge. 
It's the challenge in the third quarter and it's going to be the challenge for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think it's a another a good time to remind everyone just how interest rate sensitive our financial markets are. Yeah. Um, you know, we we've talked about the te- the challenges with core fixed income and maybe things looked a little more attractive at three and a half percent yield, but you're right back down again. And, um, you know, duration and fixed income is obviously very high. You're exposed to volatility there. But even looking at equity valuations this year, um, you know, really a lot of the declines that we've seen, we think are really this discount rate impact. Earnings yeah. have, at least nominal earnings have remained pretty strong, but it really just is so rates go, so go the market, or as rates go, so go the market right now. Um, and just the interest rate volatility is causing so much of that volatility that that we've seen. And with so much uncertainty about global growth and inflation and all the things that we've talked about on this podcast, it's just doesn't, doesn't sound like it's going away anytime soon. Yeah. I, I think the challenges to traditional assets are going to remain in place. Yeah. On the equity side, you've got um, the challenged growth outlook. On the fixed income side, you have enormous Fed policy uncertainty and just continued uh, this downward pressure on long-term rates that hit income. And the whole thing is just being overshadowed by bad volatility. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be interesting. (laughs) It has certainly been an interesting year so far. (laughs) We can say that at least. Um, all right, Laura, I think we can wrap it up there. Um, thanks so much. As I said, I know you, you have so many people want some of your time today. So we really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us to walk us this through all great. of that. Thank you. Right, thanks. To read Laura's full Q3 macroeconomic outlook and the rest of our Q3 outlook content, visit fsinvestments.com. If you liked this episode, subscribe to Fireside wherever you get your podcasts. 